Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Chris Chimes is made possible with the support of Pratt & Whitney, whose GTF engines are redefining aviation. Learn more at pwgtf.com. TA Connections, the industry's most comprehensive airline lodging and crew logistics program. taconnections.com. Clear, a leader in touchless travel. Learn more at clearme.com slash airlines. And Seabury Capital Group, global reach, global scale. seaburycapital.com. We also welcome your business's support. Info at airlinesconfidential.com. Yes, you've come to the right place. This is Airlines Confidential. I'm Ben Baldanza, and glad you're here. And I'm glad my partner, Chris Chimes, is with me here, too. Hey, Chris, how's it going? Hey, Ben, another week with lots going on, so we'll jump right into the news. We're going to start with Boeing, which announced that they have an approved fix for the electrical issue that was dogging the 737 MAX and resulting in more aircraft sitting on the ground. But then a day later, the FAA ordered inspections on older 737 Classics for a wiring issue. These are older model 737s in 304 and 500 series that go back 20 years or so. And then Boeing got a little boost with notice that they will start delivering the MAX again, and also that Alaska Airlines was converting some MAX options to orders. So Ben, this is a two-part question. If a 737-500 is a classic, what are you and I? And then what's your vibe this week on Boeing? Well, if those planes are classic, then uh, at least I'm like way beyond classic, I guess. Neoclassic, maybe. (laughs) Neoclassic. That's right. But, you know, all of us, as we get older, I guess we need more maintenance. And that's what's Boeing saying about those planes. You know, it's it's interesting. You want to link these things together, and they likely are linked together, right? I mean, the MAX is still a 737. It has bigger engines on it. Those engines were moved up and a little more forward, and that created some of the aerodynamic issues, which required the need for MCAS, and everybody knows that story now. But it's the shell is still a 737. A lot of the issues was based off that base. So if they found problems in the MAX related to wiring, it wouldn't surprise me if these problems in the earlier series are the same kinds of issues that they might have found them in the MAX and said, well, these are the same things in these older models. Let's go back and make sure they're all okay as well. So I'd be surprised if, I don't think all those planes are going to get grounded or things like that, but my guess is they're saying, we've learned something, let's go inspect everything that could be similar. That's my sense on that issue. And Boeing is clearly on an upward trajectory again, having dropped a lot. And I'm not talking about their stock price or anything like that. I'm talking about general reputation and things. I can continue to believe that the MAX is going to be a really important and good airplane for many, many years going forward. And I think not that long from now, we're just going to see a lot of those planes in the sky and a lot of people are going to be boarding that plane and not think twice about the fact that it's a MAX versus something else. I think people's memories are short on these kinds of things and the fixes that Boeing has made are real fixes. So if Boeing can sort of get everything together like they're trying to do, stay focused on putting out good products and maybe fix some of the cultural issues that might have caused maybe the rush to certification of the original Max. they're still a good company. And I really think that they can be 
a strong American company again like they were or that they still are. But they have a long way to go still. Maybe that's a long way around of saying my vibe is I feel okay about them. I don't know that I feel better or worse than last week, given these new inspections on the older planes, but they're treading water and eventually they all start swimming hard again. Yeah, as we've talked about, no one's rooting against Boeing. Everybody's rooting for them. I guess as even Airbus is rooting for them. I think it's in everyone's interest to have safety be front and center for the airline business. So, you know, you just want to see them tie down all these loose flaps and just kind of keep moving forward. But it's a little bit of whack-a-mole for them. Uh, I feel for them certainly on the PR side, but um, hopefully the, the biggest part of this is behind them and they can just keep moving forward. And then uh, there's been lots going on this past week on the COVID front, as everyone knows. There was new mask guidance from the CDC and pretty broad declaration that life can start getting back to normal for Americans if they're vaccinated. The transportation mask mandate remains in place through September, however. We've talked about masks on planes a lot, and I think our regular listeners know we think extending the mask policy is a good thing with regard to maintaining passenger and employee confidence right now. But Ben, if you were still running an airline, what would you be thinking about and how would you be thinking about it with regard to keeping things under control so that passengers don't start getting more aggressive and trying to defy the onboard rules? You know, that's a good question, Chris. I think here's the way I would approach it. And I'm not suggesting that airlines should do it exactly this way. But I think rather than be dictatorial or you know, and essentially have tonality of, I don't care if you're vaccinated, you're still wearing a mask, right? That's the wrong kind of impression. I think what I would do is work with the flight attendant group and come up with some good scripts to say, hey, we're all excited that if we're vaccinated now, we can start getting back to normal life. But on an airplane, we're still really close together and the rules are still to wear your mask. So everybody keep your mask on. And we'll all work to take them off as soon as we get off the plane, if we're vaccinated, you know, something like that and say that we know things are getting better. We know you're vaccinated, maybe even thank everybody who's gotten vaccinated and even might be too far of a stretch to say, if you're not vaccinated, please consider it because that might go too far. Right. But make it sort of we know where you are. We know the world's getting better, but still inside the plane. This is one of the places, because it's tight, because this is in place till September, that we got to enforce these rules. And it's good for all of us to do that, even if we are vaccinated. I would try to think about some sort of script like that, that the flight attendants could read as people are boarding and or maybe as soon as the door closes or something like that. So the people who might think, look, I got vaccinated. I heard the CDC say I can live a normal life. I'm going to take this mask off. Think twice about it. Yeah, I think that's fair. That's uh, that's a great way to approach this. And, and I think we have to remember just about, except for the people who are working on the plane, and even, even they are on board by their choice. They have chosen to work for an airline. But everyone on board a plane is there by choice. And uh, no one's being forced to do this. And again, lean into that kind of collective good kind of spirit that you just talked about. And, you know, look, we've worked together to get through this and we're almost to the other side. So thanks for your cooperation as we kind of ride out these last few months with these mass mandates. 
I think that's great. And now that I think about it, we shouldn't just leave this to flight attendants. That messaging can start at the gate, right? As they're making announcements about starting the boarding, they can make that same kind of announcement. You know, the airport crew can get into it too, right? And I think that's really good. And I think I like what you just said too of defining it is we just got a few more months and we'll get through this and let's get more people vaccinated. That, That can be the tonality, even though they don't have to use those words and such. So. Yep. I think that's good. Well, Seabury Security's team of experts has led 13 of the top 20 airline transformations and conducted over $100 billion in aircraft transactions with deep expertise in debt and lease restructurings, aerospace supply chain turnarounds, and helicopter operator transformations too. Explore their global reach and scale at seaburycapital.com. So, Ben, finally on the news front, let's quickly revisit airline startups in the U.S. Breeze got its final FAA certification clearance and plans to open up for sale shortly, uh, maybe even by the time this podcast airs. Its first route will be Tampa to Charleston, and it plans a route map that will initially serve 15 cities with 49 nonstop routes. And then Avalo is getting buzz about its northeast center of operation, which will be New Haven, Connecticut. But it didn't take long for another established carrier to take a competitive reaction with Frontier announcing new nonstop service into Burbank to cramp Avalos style a bit. As you're watching all this, what's your take, Ben? Well, it's been said in the airline industry before that if you really want to kill an airline, you got to kill them real early. Because once they get momentum, it's just a real hard thing to do. So you've seen Alaska sort of pile on Avalo on the West Coast, and now Frontier coming into Burbank, I think that that airline recognizes that they can't hide, right? They're in a real competitive space, and they're going to have to earn their way in this industry, which means they're going to have to keep their costs low. They're going to have to treat their customers well. They're going to have to figure out how to compete in a space that's not going to be handed to them but that they're going to have to win. They're going to have to have customers choose them over Alaska, over Frontier or something. And what are they going to do about this? Because you know those customers are going to get low fares on all those airlines. It's the easiest thing to do to match on price. It's a harder thing to win customers when price is all the same and it's low. I still think that Avalo has a good chance to do well. They've got good leadership. They were well capitalized when they start. It's going to be interesting to see how they how they pivot. That's a good word that people use a lot today, right? <laughs> Given competition and how convicted they are that what they're doing and where they're flying are the right things. Or are they willing to move their planes until they figure out what works well? I think they're going to do okay, but this is a competitive business. Breeze is going to see the same thing. I'm sure that when Tampa Charleston starts, somebody else is going to be flying Tampa Charleston before long. And even though Dave Nealman has a long, good track record in this industry, nobody's going to give him an easy pass either. And I think you're going to see carriers, maybe even Frontier, maybe Spirit, Maybe JetBlue, maybe others sort of say, hey, that's our traffic that you're coming into. We're going to win that traffic and we're not going to lose that traffic to you. That competition is good for customers. 
And in a way, it's good for employees as well, because it allows them to stay focused on what's really most important, serving customers well, keeping costs under control, keeping the planes out on time. So I think competition's a good thing. And that's what Avalo's seen. And that's what Breeze is going to see, Chris. I was struck by some of the commentary about the two different approaches that Avalo and Breeze are taking, where... Some thought that Avalo was rushing the market a little bit and Breeze maybe with their experience under Dave Nealman and starting previous airlines. And this is just a new iteration of one of his airline ideas, but they were taking their time and perhaps that was the better approach right now. Well, I think Breeze would have started sooner if they had had their certificate and could have started sooner. In a way, I think Avalo sort of jumped the gun a bit. And so I don't think Breeze's later start is only because they were being more careful. I think Avalo started by buying a certificate, Extra Airways, and they just sort of got the jump on moving a little bit sooner. But I don't think it was because they were reckless and Breeze was cautious. I think it was just a timing issue. That's my sense. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I I, I tend to agree. And I also think they probably... uh took advantage of the breeze slowness to get into the market first. So, I, But I was just kind of commenting on what others were observing. And I did notice, too, Breeze wandered back and tried to embrace their flight attendant idea last week a, a little bit. And I kept thinking, move on, move on, keep moving towards the light here. So they haven't abandoned it, but I, I don't think they want to uh, uh, fully embrace it, but they won't walk away from it. We'll be right back with Ben's discussion with Paul Kinstead the COO at Republic Airways, as they talk about some of the unique approaches they're taking to address the ever-looming pilot shortage that weighs on the industry's future growth. But first a reminder that Pratt & Whitney's GTF engines are redefining aviation. With up to 20% lower fuel burn, 50% fewer regulated emissions, and 75% smaller noise footprint, GTF engines have no comparison. These revolutionary geared turbofan engines are allowing airlines and airports to open new routes and fly more people farther with less fuel and much lower noise. Learn more at pwgtf.com. You know, Chris, our listeners will remember that a little while ago we had a very astute listener tell the podcast that, you know, guys, not that long ago we were talking about planes without pilots, and now we're talking about Pilots without planes <laughs> and, uh, because of the pandemic. Um, my discussion with Paul really had two things that focus. One, talking about the regional space, which is so important for this industry and has allowed airlines to stay in the game in some markets when their own larger planes were too big for the amount of demand out there, even though things are coming back. But if you go back in the last year, the regionals, have played and will continue to play a really important role. But this idea that they've started this pilot training, I think is really great. So I hope that everybody really enjoys this talk with Paul. He was an interesting guy and we had caught up at that MRO Americas conference. Enjoy the tape. We're here at the MRO Americas conference in Orlando and very happy to be here with Paul Kinstead from Republic Airways. Paul, great to see you. And tell me about how's Republic doing now? You're one of the largest independent regionals in the U.S., very important sector for commercial aviation. How are you guys doing in this environment? Well, great, Ben. Glad to be here. So uh, appreciate you taking some time to talk to us. 
it's been a challenging year, but it's been uh, a really uh, fantastic with our teammates and our associates really working through the pandemic and the challenges it's presented. The regional airlines are, uh, are really, I think, coming to the forefront, kind of the tip of the spear, getting back into the markets and opening up traffic that wasn't there. So we're seeing a lot of shifting from what we typically do with business uh, markets and the uh, Embraer 170 aircraft. And, and we're now doing some of the more mainline type flying between their hubs, but actually really working well with our partners to help bring them along and get them into place so that when the international markets and the business travelers really come back, everybody's ready to, uh, to roll with it. That's fantastic. So what you're saying is that some of the larger airlines are willing to use your and your smaller capacity as a little lower risk way to start bringing some of these markets back. I think that's great. Yeah, it's, it's actually filling in the gaps that they saw out there. So, and, and they're seeing a lot of pent-up demand, especially to leisure destinations. So we're seeing a lot of point-to-point -point going down to Florida, going to the East Coast, to the West Coast. So those markets obviously are opening up early. And then uh, we anticipate we're actually hearing good things about uh, corporate travel. People starting to talk about that coming back in the fall. That's great. Well, as you know, a couple of years ago, the FAA passed the 1,500-hour rule that changed the requirements for pilots being hired into the regional space. How's that affected your business? It really put a challenge on, you know, getting young people back into aviation. I think we had a, a large gap when age 65 rules came in. There wasn't a lot of hiring going on. Then we had the economic downturn, so there wasn't really positive work. And then all of a sudden, the age retirement started to come back in. Part 117 came back in, the requirements for the 1,500 hours. And all of a sudden, we found ourselves in a pilot shortage that everybody was talking about for the past five years. Now, with the pandemic, everybody's like, oh, we've got the relief valve. Well, we don't see that, that being there. We actually see the demand coming back quite rapidly. We see a lot of uh, individuals, pilots, that took early retirements out of the major carriers. And so they're starting to hire and have a demand, we've heard from them. And we've uh, developed Lift Academy, which is leadership in flight training, and began that in 2018 to start to develop at least 50% of our need for new hire pilots. And, and that's kind of our goal with it. So it's based out of Indianapolis. We went in and, and uh, cut a deal with Diamond Aircraft. So we operate DA-40s and DA-42s, the multi-engine aircraft they have, and it's a state-of-the-art aircraft, all glass cockpits, FADAC engine, so that the, uh, the pilots and the trainees coming through really get a flavor of what they're going to get when they get to a regional airline. So it's been great. We get to put in our own culture. We go in and we've actually uh, used our own individuals to develop the training curriculum, and we use commercial airline checklist. So they're using a, a 121 checklist that's modeled off of the Embraer 170 so that they're getting used to that cockpit, the crew resource management, and we can really develop individuals who are ready to go once they hit the cockpit, you know, in our aircraft. That's a fantastic proactive approach to a challenge the whole industry has. Tell me a little bit more about Lyft in terms of how experienced do you need to be to join and where are you when you get out? 
you can have zero hours, no knowledge at all of aviation when you come in and join. So we're actually going out to high schools, uh, colleges, even middle schools just to gain interest in aviation again. And we do an aptitude test for the individuals coming on board. And our goal is to make sure that it's the right career decision for the individuals. We talk to the mothers and the fathers, as well as the students, to make sure it's the right package. We've got a good package as far as the cost of it. And you can come in with zero hours in about 18 months, you'll have a CFI. And in about 36 months, if you had zero time, you could get your ATP and, and have your 1,500 hours. We're working with all of our students to develop the time building, so we either utilize them in to be CFIs for ourselves, we have some agreements to provide CFIs for other institutions, and then we have partnerships like we do with Cape Air where uh, some of the individuals go there and build time in, in their system, and then they can come back to us to be a first officer for us. Do you see Lyft at some point being sort of a major source of pilots for the whole industry or principally Republic and a few partners? Well, I think it's <laughs> principally us. We believe that the whole industry needs to do it. So we know United just recently announced Aviate that they're out there doing a similar process. But we think the industry as a whole really needs to do this because the, the pilot demand and the shortage that's going to come up, we don't anticipate this even meeting all of our needs. So we've got over 40 different partnerships with colleges and universities that have aviation programs and we have cadets there working on their CFIs and then we'll come to uh, Republic also. So we think this is you know a little bit bigger than a drop in the ocean but we really think that'll provide maybe about 50% of our need overall. That's great. One more question Paul if I can. Republic is a big independent in the U.S. and there's a few other big independents. Do you see any change in that space? Do you see any consolidation? Do you think purchasing? Do you, do you foresee that relationship between the regionals and the big airlines changing in the next couple of years? I don't think between the regionals and the big airlines. I think everybody is pretty well set. I think we've, we've gone through some consolidation. I do think there's probably opportunities for additional consolidation out there in specific markets and, and different. But one of the things that we found at Republic is that it's really about the associates, about the team members coming in learning our culture and being part of our family and it's really important to build that from the ground up that's why we think lift is super important for us to get them early on to build them into our culture and, and our ideals and then bring them forward and, and help them grow so that's really where we're, we're concentrating our efforts on well thanks very much for speaking with us here at airlines confidential paul enjoy your time at the conference and it's great to meet you great Mick, great to meet you we're glad to get back out and travel again so we're looking forward to it absolutely thank thanks. you very much all right but We'll be back with more Airlines Confidential in a minute. The Airlines Confidential podcast is now available on Apple, Google, iHeart, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Pandora, Spotify, TuneIn, and many more. Use your favorite podcasting app with just one click at airlinesconfidential.com. Welcome back to Airlines Confidential. Uh, ben, that was a nice chat with Paul, which underscores that it not only takes a village to raise a child, but also to staff the cockpit. I was thinking as I was listening to that, that ultimately developing a pipeline of highly motivated and qualified pilots is going to be a priority for lots of aviation professionals beyond the flight department, but uh, finance and HR and marketing and lots of other disciplines are going to have to participate in finding qualified pilots. 
I think that's exactly right. And, you know, Republic's not the only airline doing this, right? United has a program. Yep. Uh, JetBlue has a program. Other airlines are doing this same sort of thing. But I think that's really what it's going to take is finding people earlier in the pipeline. You know, years and years ago, although certainly within the lifetime of some of our listeners, the airline got a lot of pilots out of the military. That's not really a great source anymore. Not that the people who come from the military are good. There just aren't that many of them anymore, right? And so then the regionals became their own development. But now that the regionals are having to develop their own people, says just how important this is going to be. And there is going to be a world after COVID. The industry is going to be big again. And so we are going to quickly be in a world again where we're saying the industry needs more pilots. These proactive approaches are really, really great. That's what I really liked about the talk with Paul. Yep. Great chat. It's time for our listener questions and a reminder that Airlines Confidential welcomes your feedback, comments, and questions. Our phone number where you can leave a voicemail is 202-964-0177. Or you can email us at questions at airlinesconfidential.com or visit our website at airlinesconfidential.com and follow the prompts. We're available on all the major podcast platforms, and you can ask Amazon Alexa or Google Assist to turn us on. Just say, play the Airlines Confidential podcast. Well, Chris, our first question is from Jeremy from the UK, although he goes by Jam. Hi, Ben and Chris. Must say, I love your podcast and enthusiasm for the airline industry. Your podcast is very cool and is helping me keep encouraged as I work on my MSc in air transport operations and business management at the University of West London in the UK. I've been out of the industry for eight years now. I took a sabbatical to work in healthcare. And it has been hard to diffuse the aviation out of my blood, having been in it for 15 years prior. I'm wondering if you could give some insight or an opinion to me as well as others in my position as to the future of the industry when it comes to hiring someone with my kind of experience and education, even though I've had a long break, as obviously there will be several people laid off from airlines competing for similar roles. Thanks, Jam. What do you think, Chris? What would you tell him? Thanks, Jam, for the question. He doesn't say what he does in healthcare or what he did before, but first of all, I don't think there's ever been a closer intersection between aviation and public health. So, you know, healthcare is quite applicable to lots of industries right now. And my sense is, and Ben, you were in a hiring position more recently than I have been in, in the aviation business, but really across technology, marketing, HR, digital, finance, airlines are looking to bring people from other sectors and infuse their business with best practices, uh, more so than perhaps 20 plus years ago where you know people just kind of cycled around the major airlines in the US or internationally as well across Europe or Asia. So uh, I think his experience is likely very relevant. Obviously, the the responsibility is on him to make it relevant, but I don't think his um, leaving the industry precludes him from coming back. I agree with that, Chris. I would only say, Jam, that be prepared that for some airlines, they're going to look at you for maybe an earlier sort of kind of role than you might think that you're ready to do. Having worked 15 years in the industry, then working eight years in healthcare, 
your view of where you would re-enter the industry might not be the same as the industries. I'm not saying there isn't one airline that would, you know, wouldn't do it differently than others. But all I would say is be really open-minded. If you really want to get back in the industry, be willing to take a role that maybe at first looks like a little step back given what you've done, and then quickly prove your value from your experience and from your maturity, and you'll grow quickly within the industry. That's my sense. More listener feedback in a moment. Clear makes travel safer and easier. Become a member of Clear and you'll enjoy frictionless journeys when you use Clear's home to gate feature, which lets you know exactly the best time to leave for the airport. Plus, Clear's signature experience helps you move seamlessly through airport security. Where will you go? Get back out there with Clear. And there's a special offer for Airlines Confidential listeners. Visit clearme.com and you'll get two months free, including up to three of your family members. Just use the promo code Airlines Confidential, valid through July 1st, 2021. That's clearme.com, promo code Airlines Confidential. So, Ben, uh, this next question is right up your alley. It's from Elizabeth in Houston, Texas. Chris and Ben, I enjoy the show and try to listen regularly. Uh, I work as a corporate travel manager. Over the last year, we saw airlines relax rules and even do away with change in cancellation fees to provide passengers with flexibility. I'm sure there are some airline finance people who are looking for every opportunity to claw back some of that lost revenue. What's your prediction about whether this is a permanent or temporary change? This is a great question, Elizabeth. Here's my sense. I... I'm not really a conspiracy theorist, but I believe that the removal of change fees was more than just let's get passengers back after COVID. United Airlines led that fee. And my view is that United, like a lot of people, are worried about corporate business travelers coming back fully. Some corporate travelers may choose to just not fly as often. Some may choose to use technology like Zoom instead of flying. Maybe work at home changes what people do in some. And so if you're United Airlines, you compete a lot with Southwest. Southwest is big in Chicago. So are you. Southwest is big in Houston. So are you. Southwest is big in Denver, so are you. Southwest <laughs> is big in California, so are you, right? <laughs> A little pattern there, Ben, yeah. No, that's right. And so if you're united, you're focused on Southwest and you look at Southwest and say, they're so good at carrying smaller business travel, smaller business traveler, not smaller travelers, right? <laughs> but not really corporate travel. Maybe some of these smaller businesses are paying for the ticket themselves, even though they're traveling for business. So United, I think, said, I can match your frequency, Southwest. I can give my customers an upgrade that you can't. I can give them lounges in the airport that you can't. But when I charge change fees, I'm harder to use than you. So I'm going to remove that now. And I'm going to be not only do what you do, but I'm going to be as easy to use as you. And I think that was the real motivation for United getting rid of change fees. And then American and Delta had to come along because they couldn't let United have that advantage. So, Elizabeth, I think it's more permanent. Now, nothing in the industry is permanent. And I'm not saying that at some point in our lifetime, we won't see more change fees come back for something. But I don't think it was just a COVID thing. I think until we know what's really going to happen with business traffic, that change fees are off the table until then. 
I like your answer, Ben. I, I tend to agree, although nothing is forever, as we know. Um, I, I tend to think of the United decision last year as like there was an open door and they went through it. And uh, at some point, it's almost like a cleanse of the system. You know, the carriers were just so wrapped up in the fees and making things complicated and irritating their passengers and their corporate accounts that this was an opportunity to kind of start anew. So let's see where it goes. But I, I tend to think certainly until business travel is booming again, there's probably going to be a moderation on the fees. Finer Wine is next, but the finest in travel logistics is with TA Connections, which provides an intelligent, integrated, flexible suite of applications that allow airlines to deploy an industry-leading mix of augmentation and automations tools, configurable and personalized to your unique needs. Learn more at taconnections.com. TA Connections, a fleet core company and the world's leading provider of technology and services for crew and passenger logistics management. Chris, our finer wine this week is from Ryan in Denver. I have a Mileage Plus Explorer card. That's a United card, I'm sure most of our customers realize. Great benefits with five times miles per dollar. But every time I fly, they hassle me about my free checked bag. The check-in process says I need to pay $35 for the check bag, but I get free bags with my Mileage Plus account. I spend over 30 minutes on the phone and about the same amount of time in addition to that on their messaging customer service trying to get this figured out and then it froze. For someone who spends five to 10000 every month on their card and pay it off every month, there should be nothing but great service, including the free check bag that supposedly is included with the card. Chris, is this a fine or wine? Uh, I'm going to give Ryan a fine here. First, I think he needs to escalate this with Chase and, and not wait until he's traveling to do so. But I'm going to assume he's booking the tickets and paying for them with the Chase card which is clearly a benefit of the card, but it's for tickets booked and paid for on the Chase card. Uh, so I'm going to assume that. But if this was me, I would ask Chase to open a ticket or a case and look into it and get back to him with an answer and document those conversations. I wouldn't just complain in the moment, but when I got home, I'd say, okay, this has happened four times in a row. Why is this happening? Please look into this. That's really good practical advice. I think that makes sense. And you're right. That card is a good card, but you do have to buy on that card. My sense is he probably does, like you said, because he spends that much per month. And I'm sure some of that's for travel. Well, we're going to store our carry-on items and get ready to land. But first, my shout out of the week. And it's for Kim Day, who's retiring after 13 years as CEO of Denver International Airport. Kim has led some pretty remarkable growth, including the facilities, the number of passengers and international service, and doing so the last several years while overcoming a breast cancer diagnosis. A well-deserved congratulations to Kim and good health ahead. Good luck, Kim. That's a great shout out, Chris. My shout out goes to HVN, Tweed New Haven Airport. We talked about them earlier in the in the podcast. Obviously, this is Avalo's new East Coast base. You know, when people talk about New York airports, obviously LaGuardia, Newark, and Kennedy are the big three. People have tried serving Westchester County, Stewart Airport, the Port Authority even now runs and controls Atlantic City, which is quite far south. But people forget about this little airport, HVN, I mean. If you're a private pilot, like many of our listeners are, 
you know that when you first get your private ticket, one of the things you have to do is take what's called a long cross-country trip, meaning you have to take a trip that's long enough that you have to use the communication and navigation procedures and things like that so you can do all that. Well, my cross-country trip growing up in upstate New York was to fly from UCA Airport on little upstate New York and Utica, which is now closed, to Scranton, Pennsylvania, and over to HVN, Tweed New Haven, and then back. And so I know that airport like that way. And it always has kind of surprised me that it's only had sporadic regional jet kind of service, even though it's right next to Yale University and next to a lot of people who usually end up going to LaGuardia or Kennedy because they're on Long Island or maybe Westchester County. So I think it's actually great that this airport is getting a shot with Avalo. And that's why my shout out is there. I'm not 100% sure it's going to work, but I hope it does for them. And I hope it does for that good little airport. And with that, we're going to close down. So thanks for listening to Airlines Confidential. We'll see you next week. This podcast is produced by Mass Media. Info at massmedia.net.